Hey, what's going on guys? Welcome to the Honest Youth Pastor YouTube channel, the channel that helps believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life today. We're going to do that in one of my favorite ways, and that is going to be via a sermon review. Now, there's a couple things we've added to the sermon review that will help um, hopefully help, I suppose, you follow along with sort of my thinking and sort of break down sort of what is the things we're looking for versus just my opinion. That's that's kind of key to me that you know the things that I think you should look for in every sermon versus the thing that I think is just good and helpful to know. Now, first things first, if you haven't downloaded our free PDF sermon review guide, that link will be in the description. And one of the things we're adding to each sermon review is showing you this guide and sort of the notes that I take as we go through the sermon. So if you download this, you'll see this. One of the boxes that is probably most uh, concerning for our actual purposes here is the questions we ask during every sermon review. See, each sermon review, we ask these questions, no matter who the pastor is, no matter the sermon we're covering, we ask, do they read the text? Do they expound on the text? Do they bring an application? And do they preach the gospel? That's really what we're looking for. We'll go back to this guide here in a little bit near the end to kind of cover the kind of the notes that I looked at. Now, if you are new to the sermon reviews and you don't even know what that guide was and you don't even know who I am or what we're doing, well, let me break that down for you really quick. Each week, we cover a new pastor. is a pastor that you guys suggested or one that I'm interested in, and we go through their sermon. And typically, if I don't get a link included with the person you guys want me to look at, I just search YouTube and the first one that comes up is what I click. And this was the first one that came up uh, when I searched for Shane Pruitt. Now, it is a sermon and the full sermon will be uh, linked down below in case you want to just watch it without my con uh, my commentary. But it's called uh, One Night 2023. It's from a Baptist church that he spoke at. It's a youth conference, I suppose, that he talked, uh, he went to and spoke with. And this is what we're going to look at. And during this sermon, as I've already mentioned, we're looking for those three specific things. Does he uh, open the text and read it? Does he exegete the text and bring an application? And does he preach the gospel of Christ? So those are the things we're looking at. Now, I don't want to take up too much of your time with just me rambling. You're here to see a review. Um, and so let's get to it. Let's get to the review. And one of the things that I'm really, really wanting to sort of dig into are what are the things that I think we should definitely see in a sermon and separating that from just sort of my opinion of what I think is going on? Because I'm going to kind of tell you what I think about a sermon. And it's just not, you know, it's not gospel. It's not like the golden rule. It's just, hey, I think maybe this should be in here and this shouldn't versus what I definitely think should be in every sermon, which are those three things, uh, three or four things I can't count that we look at in each one. So let's go ahead and hop in uh, to the sermon and we'll get to it. Amen, amen. Can we give this band a hand for leading us? If you want, go ahead and go back to your seats. Go back to your seats. Awesome. Thank you for being here tonight. God is already moving, and we can't wait to see what he continues to do tonight. As you're heading back to your seats, it's an honor to be with you. My name is Shane, and uh, I've been in the great state of South Carolina many times, and so it's always good to be back. Are you glad to be here tonight? Awesome. Hey, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you got to sit by me. Why don't you tell them that? All right. Hey, now turn to your other neighbor, because obviously they were your second choice and say, I'm so glad you got to see me. Why don't you tell them that? All right. Great, great. All right. 
What a joy to see everybody. Is it, can we get the house lights up? Is that okay? Want to be able to see everybody. There you go. There you go. All right. Hey, if you have your Bibles and you brought your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Or if you use the Bible on your phone, that's good. That's good. Go ahead and scroll to Colossians chapter 1. Okay, so general rule, in case this is your first time review, is when a pastor says, hey, let's go to this text, we definitely want to go to that text for a couple of different reasons. The first being that we want to know where we're at. We want to know what's kind of said before this. We want to know what's said afterwards. We want to know the context of the passage that the pastor is speaking out of so that we know if what he's saying is actually accurate to what's going on here. That helps us zero in and zoom in on it. Um, now, the other nice thing, which you can see on the screen, is that Shane has actually put up the text on the screen and it gives them an idea of where they need to go. I'm, uh, this stays up uh, for the most part, except for the times that he is actually going to show us the text on the screen. And we'll mention there's some things he does when he does that, that I think is really important, really good. And we'll, we'll, we'll mention that when it happens. But anytime a pastor says, go to a text, go there. Uh, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Shane actually also says, Hey, get your notes out, get ready to take notes. Like, guys, I know that some of you guys are not note takers. Uh, one of the reasons that I did the sermon review guide is it sort of gives you a structured way to take notes because some of you just are like, I don't know where to start. Um, but whether you use the sermon review guide or your own notes, it is so important to take notes, right? Uh, even if you don't look at them again, I forget there was a statistic I heard about a long time ago. Is like, even if you're just writing stuff down and never look at it again, it's helped you process through that information because you've also heard it and then you've written it out. And so those are the two things that like, I just, it's invaluable. It's so helpful. And you can go back to it if you ever have a question about what they said. So all that said, go to the passage when they say go there, get some notes out if possible. Um, again, the sermon review guide down below, totally accessible, totally free. I, a lot of you can read the reviews on it. A lot of people have found it helpful. All right, stay off of Snapchat and TikTok. Be on your Bible if you're on your phone. All right, Colossians chapter one. If you have some notes, go ahead and get that out. If you have something to write on and write with, go ahead and get that out. Because tonight we're going to talk about how there is only one true God. I learned at an early age that whatever or whoever I love the most is typically who I worship, and whoever I worship or whatever thing I worship is what dictates my life. And I learned that at an early age, so tonight I would even ask you that. Who is the most important person in your life? Who do you love the most, or what do you love the most? And you go, well, it's Jesus because I'm at a Christian event. But is it really? Is that really the person who dictates every area of your life? And tonight we're going to talk about how this Jesus is worthy of our worship. And he should be the most important person in our life. And he dictates our life. In fact, we get the purpose of our life from Jesus. So tonight, some of you, what you are going to hear tonight may be the first time You've ever heard this, and I believe that Jesus is just going to overwhelm you with his love and presence, so much so that you're going to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life for the first time. Others of you tonight, this might be the thousandth time that you've heard this, but it just is going to hit differently, and you're going to realize, man, I knew a lot about Jesus, but I don't really personally know Jesus, and something's going to awaken in you tonight. And tonight, you're going to truly surrender all to Jesus for the first time. Others of you, you may walk in here thinking you're good with God. But tonight, maybe you realize you don't really know him. And he's going to grab your heart for the first time 
and truly be saved. Others, maybe you go, I do know Jesus, but I've strayed away, and tonight I'll be reminded how awesome he is, and he's gonna bring you back home. Others of you tonight, maybe you go, man, I'm not perfect, but I do love Jesus. I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me. I'm growing, and I just feel like God's calling me to ministry leadership, or God's calling me to ministry, and I wanna give my life away to this. You're gonna have an opportunity to surrender that call in your life. Basically, I wanna ask you this, what is that next step of obedience? Some of you, you need to know Jesus tonight and be saved. Others of you, you need to surrender to a calling and ministry leadership on your life. Others of you, you just need to be who God's called you to be and know him and go make him known on your school campuses and in your jobs and sports teams and clubs and really to the ends of the earth. So he sets off, right? So we're looking at sermon building. One of the things we also wanna look at is sermon building because sermon building makes the sermon easier. If it's built right, it helps the sermon be understood and be understandable to the people that are watching and listening, right? So you want it to be understandable and understood by the people that are listening because when we can all probably attest to a time we've been in the congregation and we've been listening to a pastor and we're like, we don't even know where he's going. Like he's all over the place. The stories don't line up with what's happening. It just doesn't make sense. Like nothing here is tracking with me at all. And you leave and you're confused. You're like, well, there's a couple points. Maybe I can pull out from that. But all in all, it just doesn't make any sense at all. And so what, what Shane does here, starts his sermon, and he basically asks the question, right, or you know, the statement rather, of whoever you love the most dictates sort of how you live your life, then makes the statement that Jesus should be the one dictating your life, and then brings up a bunch of scenarios about where these students may be in their life, and says really, ultimately, no matter what category you fit yourself into, um, the, the real question is, what is the next step of obedience that you need to take? So if you're not a believer, is becoming a believer something that you should do? If you are a believer, what, what space is here that you need to move in next, right? Is it, is it witnessing more? Is it following a course of ministry? Is it like, what does it look like for you? Uh, the question that he did ask is like, some of you think you know Jesus, but you don't. And tonight, maybe that next step is actually knowing Jesus. Um, so he sort of set it up and let us know where we're going, right? Where we're going is what's the next step of obedience for you, assuming that if Jesus is the one leading your life, what does that look like for you? And so that should be theoretically kind of how he lays out what the night is, because that's, that's, his, that's his stated sort of direction. So let's see where he goes. But we're going to talk about the one true God tonight. And I learned at an early age that whoever I love the most is typically who dictates my life. So I'm gonna tell you about the first time I fell in love. It was in sixth grade. There was this girl named Jenny. And Jenny has short, blonde, curly hair. And I was in love. And I wanted her to be my girlfriend. So I decided to write Jenny a love letter. And the love letter went like this. Dear Jenny, will you go with me? But I was in sixth grade, so I really couldn't take her anywhere. So it's like, dear Jenny, will you go with me? Nowhere, <laughs> unless my mommy takes us, right? But I don't want you to go with anywhere, anywhere, but with anyone but me, all right? So I was like, dear Jenny, will you go with me? Circle, yes or no. Anybody before the Lord ever written a letter like that, all right? If you're a country music fan, George Strait wrote a song about it, all right? Dear Jenny, will you go with me? Circle, yes or no. And true story, I put this in all my sixth grade manliness. I put this, dear Jenny, will you go with me? Circle, yes or no. Love, Shane, the stud muffin Pruitt. 
And then this is what we do in sixth grade, right? I folded the letter up. I gave it to my best friend to give to her best friend to give to her. She opens the letter. Dear Jenny, whether you go with me, circle yes or no. She takes out a pencil. She circles an answer. She folds the letter back up, gives it to her best friend to give to my best friend to give to me. I open the letter. She had circled an answer. And guess what she circled? She circled, yes, come on now. And we were in love. We were boyfriend and girlfriend. Every heartbeat was for her. Every breath was for her. Cause you know in sixth grade, you know what real love is, right? And like the monkey bars were our special spot on the playground. We even carved our initials into a tree. SP, that was me, plus JS, that was her, equals love. Four, number four, Abba, with the A at the end. We were like planning our future wedding date. We were naming our future kids. And we went together one day, two days, three days, but four whole days. And when you're in sixth grade, that's a long-term relationship, right? And then at the end of four days, she wrote me a letter. And the letter went like this. Shane, I do not want to go with you anymore. We are breaking up. Jenny, true story, she put this. P.S., you are not a stud muffin. She folds the letter up, gives it to her best friend to give to my best friend, to give to me. I, tore, I opened the letter and I tore it into a thousand pieces as a symbol of how she shattered my heart into a thousand pieces. Like every heartbeat was painful because it was from a broken heart. Every breath was painful. And I was like, my sixth grade career is over. I'll never love again. She was my one true love. I was done. And I felt that way for two whole class periods until a seventh grade girl asked me out. And I was like, boom, I'm back, baby, an older woman, all right? And then eventually I won because the Lord brought my wife into my life, Casey, and we've been married almost 19 years and we have six kids. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, all right? Okay, so one of the things that if you've never been here before, you wouldn't know, but if you have, you definitely know is that storytelling for me is incredibly important. And it's a gift, honestly, that a lot of people don't have. I'm, I'm not claiming to have it at all. The idea is that when we tell stories, we need to make sure that they're told in such a way that they're not time wasters, but they actually expand either the scripture we're going to be talking about or they are, act as like a, a short sort of bridge between our intro into the scripture we are talking about. They're, they're not to be a time waster, essentially, right? We have a very specific amount of time we have in front of people, whether it be students or adults, and we don't want to kind of squander that time with stories that aren't going to benefit what is actually being said in Scripture, right? So I don't have any problems against stories as long as they fit that end and that means. Now, again, that's a personal preference for me. That's not one of the three things we're looking at. But what I do recommend to people when you tell stories is do it like Jesus did, right? Jesus, when he tells parables, the parables are specifically to get the people thinking about a thing that God has already spoken on, right? So we have uh, the rich young ruler, we have the prodigal son, we have the, the woman in the lost coin, right? Uh, we have all of these parables that bring people to think about the way that God has set up the world or the way that God has already spoken about things and to get them thinking deeper about that stuff and to get them to actually come to the point of realization on their own through that story. And so when we're telling things like that, um, that's beneficial. But when we're just telling stories uh, for the sake of stories, that can get a little messy and can get us off side, you can get us sidetracked really, really fast. Now, again, 
nothing against Shane. I've said this before in sermon reviews. I'll say it again now. This isn't about Shane. This is using Shane's sermon as an example of the things that we should be looking for. Now, we haven't even touched on the scripture, uh, the the exegesis of the text, or the gospel yet. This is just, again, a little bit methodology as, as far as I'm concerned. And looking at it and saying, okay, stories are good, but are stories in this case being used to really expound the scripture? Now, it could be argued that he's using the story to connect to his younger audience. His younger audience that clearly, if you can sort of hear the background noise, is very into this. And as middle schoolers and high schoolers do relate to this sort of dating this person for two days and being heartbroken and then not being heartbroken two periods later. Like for them, this is a connective story. This is very likely why Shane is using this story in this environment. So again, Shane to, to each their own, Shane obviously will do what he wants and you will too. But the idea is to think through those. These are the things I want you to do. Is this helpful or is this unhelpful to the point that I'm actually trying to bring out in the scriptures? And I always want to you know move stories through that lens. Is it opening it up or is it just sort of expanding on a topic that we really don't need to right now when we could get to scripture? So talking about being long-winded and wasting time, I think I've done enough of that. Let's get back to the sermon. But I learned at an earlier age, whoever's the most important in my life is who dictates my life. And at 21, I met the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus. He saved me, he rescued me, and I've never been the same since then. And tonight, I want you to see in Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 20, just real quickly, the Apostle Paul, he writes this letter to the church in Colossae. And he's gonna remind them of the importance of who Jesus is. And he's gonna describe the real Jesus. See, some may be in this room tonight, the Jesus whom you're worshiping is the Jesus who you constructed by your own preferences and your own tolerances, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. See, we do not change Jesus. Our opinions do not change who Jesus is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. However, our faith in the real Jesus will absolutely change who we are. Because Jesus doesn't need to change, we do. And so Paul's gonna remind them of who the real Jesus is. So I'm gonna give you six quick things where Paul describes who the real Jesus is. Look at verse 15. Says he, who's the he there? It's Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're talking about Jesus. Tell them that. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all of creation. Number one, I want you to write this down. Jesus makes the invisible God visible. Jesus makes the invisible God visible. Okay, so whenever somebody goes through and specifically makes points, such as he's doing, we definitely want to write those points down. He's been very purposeful in telling us what those points are. He's drawing uh, these points from the scriptures he's reading. And therefore, this is going to help us when we go back and look and say, hey, is what he's saying actually valid with what scripture is saying? It's going to help us line those up better because you are uh, very probably prone to forget things between the time that they're said and the time that you go back to look at them or review them. And so one of the things, again, this is where taking notes is very, very helpful. If the pastor has gone to the point... um, 
uh, to, to actually write these points down, we should do that as well. I've, I've been poor at doing this in uh, previous sermon reviews where pastors have actually named points and I haven't written them down. And it's been unfair in those reviews because I haven't actually went through and wrote those down. So anytime a pastor wants to do that and puts the time into that, we need to make sure we're at least paying attention because that's going to help us. You'll see at the end here when we go back through this review and say, okay, what were, what were Shane's points and do they line up with the scriptures? So uh, his first point, uh, Jesus makes the invisible God visible. Has there ever been a moment where maybe you were frustrated or angry or confused and you're like, God, if you're real, then just show yourself. Maybe you're in the room and you consider yourself an atheist or agnostic. Maybe you have friends that way and that's what people always say. Well, if God's real, why don't he just show himself? If God really cares about us, why don't he just come down here? If God really loves us, why don't he reveal himself? You need to know that's exactly what God did in Jesus. Jesus is not just sent from God, Jesus is God. You wanna know what God's like? Look to Jesus. One of the names that we throw around for Jesus every year during Christmas is the name Emmanuel. But for the believer, that's a name for Jesus that is important for every day of our life. Emmanuel means what? God with what? Us. Jesus makes the invisible God visible. Jesus is God. And he is the only one worthy of our worship. Number two, I want you to write this down. Jesus ranks above all of creation. There is no one like our Jesus. Look at verse 15 again. It says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. Jesus ranks above all of creation. There are some cults, let me make that very clear. There are some cults that teach this. Jesus being the firstborn of creation means that Jesus is God's first created being. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a lie. Turn to your other neighbor and say, don't believe that. Listen, Jesus is not created. Jesus is eternal. The son of God has always existed. If you go to the beginning of it all, the Son of God is there. You go to the end of it all, the Son of God is there. The Son of God has always existed. And you go, well, Shane, well, what does that mean? Well, to really understand this, you gotta understand this term in the Greek language. See, Greek is the original language of the New Testament. That term firstborn in the Greek is literally a military rank. It means this, Jesus ranks above all of creation. There is no one like our Jesus. You think of all of creation, the, the galaxies, the universe. And see, this is one of the things that's very helpful to do this, right? So what Shane is gonna do and what you've kind of seen him do in point one, what you're kind of seeing him do in point three is what he's gonna do with all the different points, which is read the verse, give sort of an explanation of that verse, give application to that verse. So every one of these verses for every six points he had, for every six point, uh, six of the points that he has. It's going to be read the verse, give an ex uh, explain the verse, give an application for that verse as we move through. Now, to be fair, if you're going to see this in the slides that are to come, there's our slides where it'll have the verse and it'll have certain words sort of uh, highlighted on, on the screen for specific words he wants you to look at. Shane is doing what we've explained before in other sermon reviews, which is walking people through the text and through preaching the text, he's also teaching people inadvertently how to read the text by saying, hey, here's a verse, here are the words you need to look for in this specific case where he talked about, hey, this Greek word is incredibly important to know because 
you can go real into heresy ter territory real quick if you don't understand what this word means. And so what he's doing is he's building the sermon by introing in and saying, hey, whoever you love the most, that's what's going to dictate your life. It should be Jesus. He should be dictating your life. The real question for you is like, what's the next step for you in your life? And I think it should be Jesus. Let me explain why I think it should be Jesus. And then he goes into Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20 here, walking us through these verses. Firstly, stating that if you want to know what God looks like, look toward Jesus. This is what Paul says in Colossians. Second thing, you need to know this Jesus that you're looking to that reveals who God is. He is overall. And he takes the time to sort of dig in here and say, hey, there are some cults. He doesn't name them, but uh, Jehovah's Witness Mormons, right? That would say that Jesus was created. It's an old, old heresy as well, but the most modern version of it is Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Uh, he was created and Chang goes, well, that's because there's, you know, confusion about this word and it doesn't mean first created. It means ranked overall. Now, Again, like I said, they're not the first ones to come up with this. This is a very old heresy. Um, so it's not as simply solved as simply saying, hey, this Greek word means this. But that is a really good way to break it down for students in a student ministry uh, as, a, as sort of an intro way to say, hey, don't be confused by this. The Greek helps you here. Now, as always, there are tools to help you do that. I'll link some below. One of them is an affiliate link for Logos. Uh, Logos is a paid software. You can get a discount with my affiliate link, but there's also some free software down there as well um, that you can go to that's going to help you walk through some of these language things that um, aren't necessarily like you know, top of mind for us when we're Bible studying. But honestly, because we're so far removed from context and culture and language, these tools are going to really help you do better at Bible study as well. Um, these tools are not just for pastors to prepare sermons. These tools are for, uh, for Christians to be able to do Bible study well and understand the scripture that they're reading. Um, so I really appreciate Shane doing this. And I want you to look for that. The reason I mentioned it, I want you to look for how he builds this sermon out. Because um, on my first run through, um, I, I missed how he was really building the sermon out. Uh, as I look back at it, I can tell that he's doing, you know, verse, example, application. But if you're not looking for that and listening for it, you could miss it. So just watch for that in the next uh, point three, four, five, and six of how he sort of builds this out. Universe, the moon, the stars, uh, the planets, the mountains, the trees, your chihuahua. <laughs> Jesus ranks above it all. There is no one like our Jesus. In fact, never give your worship away to anything or anyone less than the best. And you need to know this, the best has a name. It's the name above every name. It's the name Jesus. In fact, you'll always feel like something is missing in your life as long as someone is missing and his name is Jesus. There is no one like our Jesus. He is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Think about it, all throughout history, there's been kings. There was King David, King Solomon, King Henry, King James, not LeBron, the other King James. If you've ever seen the movie, The Sandlot before, you ever seen The Sandlot? There was the king of clout, Babe Ruth. There was the king of rock, Elvis. The king of pop, Michael Jackson. The Burger King. The Tiger King, it doesn't matter. They will all bow before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's no one like our Jesus. In fact, I told uh, the church this this morning as I preached here this morning. Here's some good doctrine, here's some good theology. You need to know this, Jesus and Satan are not equals playing chess against one another. Jesus is King, 
Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And even one day Satan will bow at the feet of the King of kings and Lord of lords before Jesus throws him into hell for all eternity. How many of you are ready for that day? There's no one like our Jesus. So number one, Jesus makes the invisible God visible. Number two, Jesus ranks above all of creation. Number three, write this down. All things are through and for Jesus. Look at verse 16. Colossians 1.16 is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Listen to what he says. He says, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Okay, so I wanted to stop it and pause it on that screen so that you can see what I mean by what he's doing as he's putting things up and walking them through it, right? So what he's doing is pulling it up and making this one verse a point. Now, if you were to join uh, the tier on my Patreon where I walk through and like do help sermon prep for you and help walk through like a sermon and then review that sermon, this is the thing that I would basically tell you. Expository preaching is the way I'm going to have... I would say do all the time because what you're going to do is go verse by verse and you're forced to deal with the text that you're dealing with and then walk the people through the words that you're uh, that are important here. So, right. So for everything, he highlights everything. Why? Well, because everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things, right? So everything connects to all things have been created through him and for him. And so what Shane is doing is he's drawing out the key words here in the text to make the very point of point three, which is all things are through and for Jesus. Everything is through Jesus. Everything is for Jesus. Nothing escapes the everything and the all things things. And so what he's doing at each point is this. You'll see this of the other slides as well. Uh, he did it with the word firstborn on, uh, I think it was point uh, two, and he'll do that as he continues, right? So this is a good practice. I would say one of the things um, that I would look for, especially if I'm, if I'm listening to a sermon, is this sort of detail. Um, it's not like deep, super deep detail. It's just surface level. Hey, these are the words you need to look for. Um, he got a little bit deeper in point two when he kind of went to the Greek on firstborn, but that was a necessity because of the heresy that's out there. And so he's just drawing your eyes to certain things. Now, this isn't the end all be all, right? Because there are going to be pastors that maybe use this to focus on the wrong words. And this is where your discernment comes in. And this is why note taking is very important. So you can go back afterwards and say, hey, is this legit? Is this actually what the scripture is trying to say? Because to be fair, and I, Shane is not doing this here, but there are pastors that could take five verses and pull them out of context and make them say something that they don't actually say, right? So this is where just because these sort of steps are followed uh, does not necessarily mean that everything's going to be perfect and shiny and you don't have to check it. You still do. I would check anybody. And so these are the things though, that I would say definitely look for that are positives. Jesus is the purpose of our existence. All things were created through and for Jesus. Did you realize that currently there's 7.8 billion people alive in the world today? And every single person asked the one major question of life. And that question is this, what's the purpose of my existence? Why am I here? How many of you are like me, you're not really morning people? Anybody not a morning person? All right, how many of you are, you're like my wife, you are morning people? All right, uh, you need Jesus. No, I'm just kidding, all right? <laughs> but you ever wake up in the morning, instead of saying, good morning, Lord, you're like, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> and then you like stumble into the bathroom 
turn the light on, you look at yourself in the mirror, you got like bedhead going on, got pillow grid on your face, and then you stare at yourself. Anybody weird like me? Have you ever stared at yourself in the mirror so long you weird yourself out? <laughs> Anybody? And then you get this little tear in the corner of your eye and it rolls down your little porcelain face. And you're like, God, why am I here? You're here to know Jesus. You're here to worship Jesus. He's the purpose of your existence. Again, you'll always feel like something is missing in your life as long as someone is missing and his name is Jesus. See, because of sin, we all got this hole in our soul and we try to fill it with other things. We go, man, if I could just be more popular, if I could just have more followers on social media, if I could just get this blue verification check to my name, if I could just make the varsity team, if I could just make better grades, if I could just get into this school, then I would feel fulfilled. If this person that I like would like me back, then they would complete me. <laughs> and it's never enough. In fact, how many of you know people who cannot be single? They literally bounce from relationship to relationship to relationship. Hey, some of you are pointing at other people. Do not point. But we're trying to fulfill something again. You'll always feel like something's missing as long as someone is missing and he has a name and his name is what? Jesus. So what you'll notice is he keeps saying this phrase over and over again. He's got a couple of them that he'll say. The idea to drill this sort of idea into uh, the head of his audience, right? So in this case, it's student in uh, middle school and high school, and that's who he's talking to. And he wants them to remember this phrase, uh, if nothing else, when he leaves. Now, I'm a little torn on this. Now, again, this isn't, again, this has nothing to do with reading the text, expounding on it, or preaching the gospel. We'll get to all of those at the end. This is more methodology. And this is where I really come up and I'm like, hmm, where where do I land on this? Because my, my thing that I would always suggest to pastors that are saying, you know, what should I include? What should I not include in scripture? Is that I want my goal and my goal for anybody that I'm sort of trying to teach how to preach and walk through scripture is that when you leave the room, they're not even thinking about you. They're thinking about what you drew out in the scripture and they are so anchored in that word and changed by that and driven by that and want to do uh, more for Jesus because of that. They don't really think much about what you said other than what it was in the scripture. And the way you can make sure that that happens is, is that you stick so, so closely to the text that all they can say is like, wow, like, did you, did you know that was in the Bible? Um, and, and you bring it alive because you've dug out the truth that's already in there. Now I say all of that to say, you know, if you have a saying or a phrase that you want them to remember, I don't think that's all bad, right? I, the phrase that he wants them to remember, uh, roughly translated is you'll always feel as something is missing until you have Jesus. I and mean, again, he had, he says it differently, but that's the easiest way for me to remember it. And that's not a bad phrase that he's giving them. Um, and I'm not saying it's the end of the world. I'm just saying that I think the only suggestion I would have up to this point, if I were saying, Hey, methodologically, what would I want to do here? I would say that I would swap out the story about him doing the, uh, the story, uh, the story about him writing the, the, will you date me note at the beginning, get rid of that entirely, put context and culture about, you know, Colossae at the beginning. So we have a little bit more detail about who these people are, how Paul knew them, why Paul's writing to them and then go into it. And that gives us more context on the front end. Continue to do what he's been doing this entire time. Verse, explain, application to each verse, and then sort of cut out some of these, um, some of the fluff. Not that there's a lot there, 
Uh, and that's, again, just preference for me. Right now, again, to be clear, and we'll get into this more detail at the end, I think he's doing what I would suggest you do. He's reading the scripture. He's going verse by verse. He's exegeting the text verse by verse. And we'll see about where when he gets to the gospel here at the end. Um, those are just like minor critiques that I would give as if anybody, you know, if anybody would care or come to me and say, hey, how would you change this? That's what I would do. But overall, he's obviously engaging in his audience, which is one of the more important things. Like know who you're talking to and talk in a way in which they will understand what's going on. Uh, and one of the things we can't know, right, is if if the students that he spoke to, if they remember anything he said yet. So that's really the, that's really the test of um, the speaker is do they remember, you know, the core point of what you were talking about? A week or two after like did it affect them in such a way that they um that there was some sort of action that came from that either um you know diving further into that text or changing some part of how um they they live their life um because this the scriptures are authoritative and it demands that of them um so that that's kind of how you weigh effectiveness but you don't really know that until later you literally exist for jesus I love your generation. Culture calls your generation, Generation Z. But the team that I lead at NAM, we refer to your generation as the revival generation. It's currently a prayer request, but I pray it turn into reality. We're seeing sparks of it. Listen, I've seen more teenagers and college students get flat out saved in the last three years than the previous three years, uh, 20 years of ministry combined. Because so much of your generation you're looking for hope, you're looking for answers, you're coming to the end of yourselves at a much earlier age. You're wondering what's the purpose of your existence. And until we realize it's Jesus, that's why anxiety rates go up and depression rates go up and suicide rates go up. How many of you, and it may even be you, how many of you personally know somebody who struggles with deep depression or anxiety or thoughts of suicide? How many of you personally know somebody like that? Look at that. And we're looking for the purpose of our existence. Listen, the purpose of your existence is Jesus to know him. You literally exist for him. You know what else this means? It's not your life. You ever say that before? You're like, it's my life, I'll do with it what I want. Have you ever said that before? Usually we say it when we're like arguing with our mama, right? Right before we slam the bedroom door, we're like, mama, it's my life, I'll do with it what I want. Oh. Right, and slam the door. <laughs> Listen, the first time my kids slammed their bedroom door, that door's coming off the hinges, baby, all right? True story. That happened, and it did come off the hinges, and it stayed off the hinges for a very long time. Also, uh, they didn't turn off the TV once, and the TV came down for a few months too. Like, don't play. Like, if you draw a line in the sand, you got to do what you said you were going to do. So, You're like, what about their privacy? Privacy comes with a four-letter word, R-E-N-T. You want some privacy? You better pay some rent up in here, right? But is it really your life? Everybody take your right hand, hold it up real quick. Just do this with me, a physical exercise. Put it in front of your mouth and breathe. You feel that breath? Let me ask you this. If it's really your life, what do you have to do with that breath? The answer is nothing. It began the moment God said, it will end the moment God says, give that breath back to him in praise. Psalm 150 verse six says, let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. You literally exist for Jesus. Think about it. Your mind was created to think about the greatness of Jesus. Your mouth was created to sing worship unto Jesus and tell the world about Jesus. Your heart was created to beat with passion for Jesus. Your hands were created to serve Jesus. Your knees were created to bow before the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus. Your feet were created 
to follow Jesus. You were created for Jesus. And you'll always feel like something is missing as long as someone is missing and his name is Jesus. Number four, real quick. Jesus is the sustainer of all things. Look at verse 17. It says, he is before all things and by him all things hold together. Jesus literally is the one that holds everything together, meaning he is the power. Again, just an example of what I was talking about with the words before. This is a very easy thing to do, by the way. This isn't hard, uh, especially if you're a church that puts up slides and things like that. This here will help sort of draw those out, especially if you're a communicator um, that is really trying to hone people in to how to read the Bible, things to focus on. This is a perfect way to do it. I've seen more and more pastors do this, but you'd be surprised at how many people don't. They just kind of throw the words up on the screen and then they just read through them and they don't really do you know, this, just focusing on them. And when you're preparing your sermon throughout the week, I mean, hopefully, you know, you've had a week or more to do that. You're able to sort of think ahead far enough to say, hey, okay, these are the things I'm going to focus on. This is going to be one of my points. How do I dictate that um, or communicate that rather in slide form? Because what you're doing, right, when you're, if you're a pastor and you're presenting to a congregation, or this even applies like if you're, you know, you're, you're giving a speech in class or something, um, or in front of, you know, your colleagues at work, you are using, when you're using your voice, like just what I'm doing now, I have one aspect that I'm engaging you with, which is my voice. Now, because you're watching this online, right? So now you have the video aspect. So you have the bottom little lower third that says, honest youth pastor, like, subscribe, comment. You also have the secondary window. You have the background. So now we're engaging you visually as well. And then over here on the, the window where we're showing you Sean's sermon, like we're engaging through that as well. And what you got to think about as a pastor, when you're presenting something, right? If you have the ability to then also project something up there, that gives you a second way to communicate something that you're already communicating, but to do it in a different way. And so I know I'm really building this up, but it, I think it's really helpful for people to visually see the verbal thing that you're saying. And it's, it's incredibly helpful. One of the things I'm going to try, I don't know if you've seen on Instagram, some of the new uh, sort of posts that I'm trying out is do like a Bible verse and then circle it and write a note to it. One of the things I'm going to try in the future is to, to use that sort of slide idea, only break the third wall with it and actually use the markup tool like I'm doing on my iPad now for the, uh, the sermon review guide right here. And then I'll be able to circle something and... Um, uh, they'll see it as I'm doing it. So that's a whole nother aspect on top of that. And I've seen a few pastors do that. And the idea is that like when you're, you're teaching the scriptures and that you, anything you can add to that, that like I said before, brings that out is all the more helpful. You don't want to distract from what you're trying to do. You want to bring something more to add to what you're doing and to help people, you know, get more engaged in that. And so that's the idea. Let's get back to it. Of our existence. Anybody ever had a bad day before? Anybody ever gone through a rough season? Listen, Jesus is the one who sustains us. We've all gone through difficult seasons. We've all had bad days. We all have gone through difficult circumstances. Trust Jesus. He is the only one worthy of our worship, even in difficult seasons. All right, so how many of you agree this band was awesome? Would you agree with that? Yeah. All right. They're amazing. They're musical, I am not. Like, I can't sing, I can't play any instruments, I can barely play the radio, you know what I mean? But here's what I'm gonna do, is I'm gonna sing a song. 
Now, I need your help, all right? Now, this song, if you grew up in church, you know it. But if you're like me and you didn't grow up in church, you'll still know it. Like, you didn't even have to grow up going to church and you'll still know this song, all right? So I'm gonna start it. And then I'm gonna, like, alley-oop it to you. And I want you to take off singing it loudly. Now, please, for the love of all good things, holy... Do not leave me up here by myself singing this song because it's going to go awfully, all right? So I'm going to start it. I'm going to alley-oop it to you, and then you take off singing it loudly and passionately, all right? You're going to do it. All right, you ready? Here we go. He's got the whole world. All right, give yourself a hand, good job, all right. Real quick, aren't you glad that we don't worship some weak Jesus, we worship an all-powerful Jesus? Now listen, do not miss this. You know why I love that song? Because there's some good theology in that song. Check this out. If our God is so amazing, so powerful, that he's got the whole world in his hands. Don't you think he's also so amazing and so powerful to hold you together when your whole world is falling apart? Listen, we're always telling God how big our circumstances are. Maybe it's time we start telling our circumstances how big our God is. There is no one like him. Do not give your worship away to anything or anyone less than the best, and the best has a name, and his name is Jesus. Number five, real quick, Jesus is to be preeminent. You go, what does that mean? Look at verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church. The church exists for Jesus. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that we might come to have, so that he might come to have first place, I love that, in everything. You know what that word everything means in the Greek language? Everything, it means everything. That Jesus is to be first place. Uh, some translations say preeminent. What does it mean? It means Jesus is to own every area of our life. Please hear me. If Jesus becomes your savior, he also becomes your Lord. He becomes your boss, he becomes your king. And I wanna make this very clear. The moment you say yes to Jesus at salvation, yes is the only answer you can ever give him again. See how this doesn't work? No, Lord, see how that doesn't work? No, king, no, boss, no, El Jefe. See how that doesn't work? Jesus is the boss. There's this old bumper sticker that the adults in the room will remember. It's kind of before your time, but maybe you've heard it before. There used to be these bumper stickers that would say this, Jesus is my co-pilot. No, he ain't. He's the pilot. He's the plane. He's the seats. He's the fuel. And by faith, we're along for the ride. He's the boss. It's not me plus Jesus. No, no, it's Jesus. He is the king. He's the Lord, and he is to own every area of our life. Listen, 
being a follower of Jesus is not just a Sunday morning thing or a Sunday night thing or a one night thing or a Wednesday. Listen, Jesus is not a hobby. Jesus is life. And he takes over every area of your life and he makes it much better. Now, listen, it's not always gonna be easy. Jesus does not promise us easy. He promises us eternal life. And it's so much better with him. Hey, do not miss this. This is so important. Jesus does not desire to be a part of your life. Jesus desires to be your life, and that's radically different. So you go, what does that look like practically? Let me give you one practical way that looks. You know, often when we talk about Jesus being first place, we think about him being on a priority list, right? We'll go, all right, well, I got this priority list. So Jesus is number one, family number two, church number three, friends number four, hobbies number five, sports number six, and school all the way at the stinking bottom, right? No, 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 no. For Jesus to be first place, he doesn't belong on a priority list. For Jesus to be first place, it means he owns the whole stinking list. Jesus, number one in my family. Jesus, number one in my relationships. Jesus, number one when I'm at school. Jesus, number one in my life. Jesus, number one in every single part of my day. So one of the things I think that does need to be sort of called out there is that he, he goes ahead, much like he did with the firstborn of all creation part, uh, only this isn't a Greek you know, word issue. This is a just breaking down because of just assumptions issue, where if we're saying he's first in everything, then he's top of the list, as Shane said. And then Shane goes ahead and takes that idea that people were either thinking sort of, you know, oh, this is how this works then, or maybe just unconsciously going, well, if it's a priority list, of course, Jesus is at the top. And he says, that's not the thing. Jesus is outside of the list and he affects your list. So if Jesus is first, he's overall. So he's, you know, first in my family, first in my studies, first in my friendships, first in everything. And he affects all of those things. So I want you to see what he did there, right? So it's this, it's again, it was this teaching aspect of moving us through the verse, explaining the verse, and then giving us application for the verse. And using so uh, in this in this particular way, saying this is the thing the audience that is listening to me is going to assume, and then answering the question that they're asking without them asking the question, right? You're you're saying who uh, when I say this when I say this verse, for example, when I quote this verse, what is going to come into their head, and then figuring that part out and answering the question that they're very likely going to ask from hearing the verse. And this is part of it, whatever, again, it doesn't have to be just a pastor. It could be, you know, if you're speaking to your colleagues or at your school, one of the things that you have to do as a speaker is to say, what is my audience going to hear when I say this? And then how can I either correct that misunderstanding that they're likely going to come with, or how can I expand this reality that that brings to mind for them to help them better understand the text and God in general, right? And so this is what Shane does. He takes the assumption that he thinks, well, if I say this, the students are going to hear this, and this is the sort of the thing I need to correct. One of the best ways, because none of us are mind readers, is to how to understand how people are going to take this text is how you interact with people on a one-on-one -on -one relationship basis, right? So Shane speaks at a lot of, I think, youth, I mean, all the stuff I see online that he's speaking at are youth events and student events and college events. So as you have conversations with college students and students and ministry, you know, middle schoolers, there are going to be things that seem to come up, especially after you get done preaching, people will come up and ask you questions or ask for clarification. And those aren't just one-off conversations that you just throw away and you're like, well, that was worthless. You take that in and you go, okay, 
okay, well, if that was what they heard in this sermon, how can I make that clear the next time I talk about something like this? Or even online. There are things, um, if you're if you're being purposeful about your interactions, that you're going to be able to absorb and then use later to be clearer in what you're saying. There's a lot of things online, on Instagram, for example, or on YouTube, that uh, interactions that I've had, that I've been able to take those conversations, the questions or assumptions that come with what I've said online, and take those into a sermon that I then preach later, knowing that this is probably what someone's going to think because this is what other people have thought before, and then using that to clarify what I actually mean and hopefully make not only that sermon clear, but help people work through a process that other people have already helped me work through so that I can make what I'm speaking about clearer. And so do that in your daily lives. I think it's going to be very helpful. There are times that I've had uh, the opportunity, by God's grace, to witness to people and the topics that have come up, I only have the answers for or can speak to them about topics because I've had conversations before where I didn't, I wasn't able to do that. And then I've learned from that and then I take it into other aspects in life. So this is, long story short, this is what Shane's doing here. He's, pers- he's assuming what they're going to think and then using that assumption to build out um, a response to a question that maybe you're not even asking or thinking about asking, but it was there. Jesus deserves your worship. He deserves first place. There's a bunch of false dead religions out there. There's a bunch of false dead lowercase g gods. Listen, when it comes to this, there's no participation trophies for those false dead gods. There's only one champion and his name is Jesus. He deserves first place. And then number last, Number last, real quick, number last. Jesus is the only one that can save us. Why is Jesus the only one worthy of our worship? Jesus is the only one that can save us. Listen, we've all messed up. We were all born sinners separated from God. We were all born sinners in need of a savior. There's no holier than thou's in here. You go, I bet I've messed up way more than everybody else. Nope, nope, everybody is equally a sinner that needs a savior. There's no holier than thou's in here. We are all sinners in need of a savior. In fact, if you were at the church this morning, I did it this morning, let's do it tonight so we all get on level ground. There's something wrong with all of us. It's called sin. How many of you would admit that tonight? I'll raise my hand. How many of you go, Shane, there's something wrong with me. Anybody wanna admit that? You know what that is? It's sin. How many of you are sitting next to someone? There's definitely something wrong with that person, right? It's sin. Some of you are looking at me right now going, well, Shane, you don't know me. I'm a good person. Well, the Bible says you should not tell a lie. So raise your hand if you've ever told a lie before. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying right now. Sinner, there you go. We're all on the same page. And we're all good at it. There's something wrong with us. And you know what? Everybody knows there's something wrong with us. You realize you can go into any secular bookstore And you know what that secular bookstore knows about you? There's something wrong with you. Think about it, you can go into Barnes and Noble. You know what Barnes and Noble knows about all of us? There's something wrong with us and we need help. That's why there's a whole section called the what? Self-help section. But please hear me, because your generation, I think you even understand this more than us adults do, because you've been told a bunch of self-help nonsense your whole life. Like follow your heart, believe in yourself, it's your truth, be your authentic self. Like there's a truth, my truth, your truth, their truth, their truth, everywhere, true truth. And you see right through the nonsense. 
Listen, self-help does not solve spiritual problems. Only God can do that. You know why self-help doesn't help? Because often the biggest problem with self is self. If self is the problem, self can't be the solution. We need someone outside of self. His name is Jesus. And we all know it. And we can't fix it. And you go, well, I'll just be a good person. Please hear me. Good people don't go to heaven. Those who are saved by Jesus do. Because we're all sinners in need of a savior. But here's the good news. Listen, we may be good at sinning, but Jesus is better at saving. Jesus is a better savior than we are sinner. Can I get a witness up in here tonight? That 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who has always existed, took a mission trip from heaven to earth and became a man to die as a man for mankind. But he never stopped being God, fully God, fully man. He lived the perfect sin-free life that you and I could not live. Think about it. Everything he did was good and awesome. Caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the handicapped to get up and walk. He walked on water. He calmed the storm with his voice. He fed over 5,000 people with two fish sandwiches. Subway has nothing on that, brother. Amen. And then he did the greatest act of love ever. He took our place on the cross. We deserve to be there, yet out of love, he took our place. We are sinners. He is sinless. We are messed up. He is holy. When they shoved the crown of thorns on his head, that should have been me. When they spit in his face, that should have been you. When they nailed him to the cross, that should have been us. But our great God loved us so much, he took our place. Look at verses 19 and 20, and that's where we'll end. It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Listen, Jesus wasn't just sent from God, Jesus is God. Jesus isn't 99% God, he's 100% God. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile everything to himself. What does that word reconcile mean? It means there was a relationship that was broken, but because of the work of Jesus, it can be made new again. Everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and then I love this next part, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. How many of you are thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ? His blood does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. See, Jesus took our place as the perfect sacrifice of sin, as the perfect substitute in our place, and he died there. And they took his lifeless body off the cross and put it in a borrowed grave. Now, one night, this next part should make us yell so loudly, the whole state of South Carolina hears us. You know why they put the body of Jesus in a borrowed grave? Because he wasn't gonna need it long, baby. Because three days later, our Jesus busted out of the grave showing that God the Father had accepted God the Son's sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus made the way possible to be forgiven. Jesus made the way possible to have eternal life. Jesus made the way possible for us to live out the purpose of our existence, and that's to know God and to worship him forever. It's like the first question in the Westminster Shore Catechism. So real quick, uh, he's still got a little bit ways to go. We still got about 10 minutes left in this sermon review. Um, the one thing, though, that I want to point out is that I don't know how Shane typically ends his sermons. This is the only sermon I've ever seen of Shane. But um, I know there are pastors. There's a guy that's a patron named Matt. He, he purposefully adds the gospel to the end of all of his sermons. 
uh, he finds a way to make sure it's there. Shane sort of got a, a freebie on this one because this is how Paul, uh, you know, ends here in verses 19 and 20. So of course Shane is going to end this way. Um, but what Shane's done here, and we'll talk about this. I mean, he's explained the gospel. This is what we're looking for. One of the three points we are looking for in this sermon. And so he works through verses 19 and 20 to do that. Um, and point people to the cross. Now, he's got 10 minutes left, so we are going to see sort of how he ends this. There is sort of an altar call here at the end, and we'll discuss what that looks like methodologically here in a minute. But let's let him sort of finish up. He ascended into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father as King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus lives. The tomb is empty, so we can be full of the life of the risen King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus. Listen, friends, Jesus lives, so hope lives. Jesus lives, so joy lives. Jesus lives, so peace lives. Jesus lives, so purpose lives. Jesus lives, so forgiveness lives. Jesus lives, so eternal life is a reality. He lives, he lives. So that he's the only one that can save us. He's the only one worthy of our worship. Never give your worship away to anything or anyone less than the best, and the best has a name, and that name is what? You'll always feel like something's missing as long as someone is missing. And his name is what? Jesus. That's the real Jesus. Now listen, according to the Bible, all those who repent and believe can know Jesus. What does repent mean? A lot of times we get weirded out by the word repent because we always think of this guy that's kind of disheveled standing on the street corner with a cardboard sign that says, repent, the end is near. <laughs> what does repent mean? It comes from a Greek word, metanoia, which means to have a change of heart, change of mind, where you realize I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I cannot fix this, so I'm gonna place my faith, my trust in the one who can, Jesus. And the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life, he places his Holy Spirit in us, the same power that ripped Jesus out of the grave now comes to live inside of us. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, it changes everything. We can be forgiven of sin, past, present, future. I said this morning, I'm not the brightest crayon in the box. So I can understand being forgiven of past sins, that makes sense. But when the Bible teaches we'll be forgiven of the sins of tomorrow even, that means this, when Jesus saves us today, he's already factored in our stupidity of tomorrow. How amazing is that grace and love? When the power of the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, our soul, our spirit that was spiritually dead now becomes spiritually alive to never die again that even when we draw our last breath and our body hits the ground, who we are goes to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever, amen, where there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, there is no more heartache, there is no more depression, there is no more anxiety, there is no more evil, there's only the goodness of God and we get to experience that for all eternity. How many of you are ready for that day? Yeah. Do not miss this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about making good teenagers better. It's about making dead people alive and only our Jesus can do that. He's the only one worthy of our worship. And listen, friends, I heard that all growing up and I would even come to events like this and they would do an altar call like we're about to do. And I'd come up and I'd go, God, I'm sorry, I'm gonna fix this, God, I'm gonna change. And then eventually I'd run back to the same junk. Then the next Christian event would come up and I'd go, God, I'm sorry, I'm gonna change, I'm gonna fix it. And I'd run back to the same junk. Then the next Christian event would come up. I'd go, God, I really, really mean it this time and run back to the same junk. It was this like never ending cycle, year after year after year. How many of you, just be honest, I'll raise my hand in closing. How many of you feel like you've been in that same kind of cycle before you feel that way right now? Raise your hand. It's miserable, isn't it? 
So one of the things that I think is interesting, this is also something he's not necessarily saying, hey, here's the text. This is how they're going to perceive it. So I should approach it this way, answering the question that they're asking in their head. What he's doing now is addressing a much wider issue that pretty much any kid that grew up in the 90s, uh, in my generation, and obviously all the way up to now that's been in church can sort of say, oh, yeah, that was definitely a thing that happened to us. We went to camp after camp after camp. And if you had like a dollar for every time you got rededicated to the Lord, you'd, you'd have a pretty nice salary. And so one of the things that he's addressing is that issue, right? So he's saying, hey, I know this is just, this is another thing you're going to. This is another message that you're hearing. This is another opportunity that you have to come forward. And so he's just addressing that head on, which I got to give him props for because he's saying like, I know this is probably what's going through your head uh, or something that you've just experienced. And you think this is the time maybe that if you do it this time, it'll stick. And he's going to address that here in a minute. Now, again, I want to be very careful. This is methodology. And this is something that he's going to do. And I want to make a comment on it, but I want him to kind of talk through it uh, here and explain his reasoning first uh, for like why he's sort of explaining what he's about to explain. Maybe what you need to do is stop making God all these promises you can't keep. Here's what I'm saying. I'm not asking you to try harder. I'm asking you to trust in Jesus. See, some of you, you're caught in this cycle and you just keep rededicating your life and recommitting your life and rededicating your life and recommitting your life. And maybe tonight, instead of rededicating your life or recommitting your life, maybe tonight you need to get flat out saved because you can't rededicate what you never truly dedicated. And you can't recommit what you never truly committed. So here's what I want to make a comment on that. Now, I don't know Shane's heart. I don't, th he's not the only one that's ever said this. Again, this is not a sermon review that's specifically critiquing Shane as much as it is as a critiquing a sermon that Shane gave. So it does reflect a bit on him, but overall, it's really just what, how he's sort of building it and the words he's used, right? Also, admittedly, this is probably coming from a, <laughs> a, a place of personal uh, sort of past. And uh, so I'll speak to it that way. What Shane sort of says here is that if, if you've gotten saved before and you feel like you had to get rededicated, it's because you weren't really serious the first time. I would push back on that quite a bit, actually, because, I mean, from personal experience, also a lot of friends that I have, there were a lot of times that you go forward that you're very serious in what you're saying. It's that you don't have the commitment around you or you aren't open enough to have those relationships around you to utilize the gift that the God has given that God has given you with the local church. And you don't have accountability and you don't have openness with other people. And therefore, um, God, obviously, the Holy Spirit will sanctify you through a lot of processes. One of those, though, that I've seen him use the most is other believers in your life, walking with you, praying with you, being open with one another, iron sharpening iron, right? This idea that uh, you are not a Christian all by yourself on a lone island. You are meant to be in community with other people. So there are times that you probably have been incredibly serious about like, God, I want to follow you, but you go fall back into some sort of habitual sin. Uh, and because you're not open and honest with the people around you, you can't be held accountable. They can't be there to help you in hard times because most of the time, in every instance that I can think of, if someone falls back into habitual sin, it's almost always triggered by something else that's happened in their life that in the past that has been their response. 
if you are then around other believers that know that about you, know what triggers you to fall into habitual sin, they can be there with you, prevent those, cut those off at the pass, pray with you, be there for you, and then the Lord uses them to sanctify you. So it's not a matter that you were not serious when you were dedicating your life before. It's that you have not utilized really the, the graces, the common graces that God has put before you, one of them being the local church, in order to follow him uh, faithfully. So again, not that Shane would deny any of that, but that's what it sounds like he's saying. And so that's one of the things we need to be careful about kind of how we word things. Because if I'm a kid there, what I'm hearing is all the other times I went before it, I wasn't serious enough and I just need to be more serious now. So let's keep going. Some of you in here, you think you're a Christian because you go to a church building every week. Now listen, this is an incredible building. I'm so thankful for this church hosting us. But does sitting inside of this building make you a Christian? Just like sitting inside of Taco Bell does, does not make you a burrito. You understand that, right? <laughs> Buildings don't make Christians, Jesus does. Has there ever been a time where you've truly realized your need for a savior and truly placed your faith in Jesus? and trusted him to do for you what you cannot do for yourself? And if the answer is no, or I don't know, now's your time. Now's your time. Maybe tonight, this is the first time you've ever heard it, but you feel like God is stirring something in you, you feel like God's speaking to you, and tonight's the night you need to truly confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life for the first time, and truly believe and be saved. And see, one of the things there that I personally have an issue with, again, We'll talk about the three things we look at in every sermon. One of the things I think we need to be careful about what we say is that he's, he's putting the belief on them, all right? So we know, or well, depending on the theological background you have, you can't conjure up the belief yourself. This is a gift from God uh, to have the faith that Jesus is who he says he is. So I can't try really hard to believe in Jesus. It is a gift given. And uh, man, I wish I had that verse in front of me. I don't. I'll try to find it really quick uh, while he talks. So you'll, be, you'll see me looking down. But the idea is that it's not like you can sit there and just try really hard to believe. It's, it's, that's not how, and this, this goes into a very works-based thing. Again, not that Shane is advocating for that, but we got to think about how people are processing things. So if it's my night to really, really believe, well, how do I go about really, really believing? Well, you don't. It's, it's a gift from God um, that enables you to believe, recognize your sin, know that you need Jesus. So... Maybe tonight, you've heard this a thousand times, but tonight it just hit differently and you go, I don't know that Jesus. And tonight, I do not wanna leave without knowing that Jesus. Now's your time. Maybe you came in and you go, man, I thought I was good because I thought I was a good person and I'd compare myself to others. I was like, I didn't do what they did. and I go to church, so I must be saved. And tonight you realize, I don't know Jesus. I don't have the Holy Spirit of God inside of me. Now's your time. Maybe you're here tonight and you go, well, Shane, I don't know, man. I, I don't really know. I don't really know if the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me. Let me just ask you this. How can a God so big and a God so powerful speak all of creation into existence, overcome the grave? How can that same God live inside a little old me and you and we not know if he's there or not and be radically changed by him? So maybe tonight you not knowing is really you do know you don't belong to him, but tonight you can because we're just going to trust what the Bible says. And see, that's something right there, too. I think that uh, I've liked a lot of what he said, and we'll talk about that. But one of the things that's concerning is like, how can you not feel the Holy Spirit inside of you if he is inside of you? There's a lot of Christians that I know that um, they know they're saved, 
but there's days they don't feel like they're saved. That may, I don't know if that makes sense or not. It doesn't make them any less. They still have the fruits of the Spirit, which is evidence of the Spirit. Uh, but if you're relying on the, how can the God that created all things, how can you not feel Him inside you if, he, if the Holy Spirit lives in you? Um, again, I'm not saying that Shane advocates for, like, if you don't feel it, you're not. I'm just saying, like, the words we say matter is all I'm saying. So I'm going to ask everybody in here, if you would just quietly bow your head, close your eyes. And if you go, Shane, that's me tonight. I need this Jesus. Maybe you're also confused going, well, man, this Jesus could never save me. Yes, he can. Um, we're actually going to end there. It's 37 minutes into a 43-minute thing. You can go there and look at it if you'd like. Uh, the rest of it is just an altar call, though. Um, a lot of kids respond, so that's awesome. A lot of kids respond to, to the altar call. Uh, the verse that I was looking for that I was thinking of is Ephesians chapter 2, um, specifically um, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, but it is a gift from God, not a result from work so anyone can boast, right? So this, uh, it's, you should read the whole text, but that's the verse I was thinking of. It's a gift. Faith is a gift. You can't conjure that faith up by yourself. So let's go over to this real quick and look. Yes, these are my messy notes. This is what my sermon notes look like almost every single week. And so let's walk through this really quick. His verse was Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He asks the, uh, or he states that who do you love the most basically dictates your life. Jesus is worthy of your worship and should dictate your life. The structure that he sets up is verse example application. The style of the sermon was expository. He's working through verse by verse. He does reprove, rebuke, and exhort. There was a time where he reproved where he's like, hey, you think this, but it's actually this other way. Rebuke is a stronger thing, which is the whole, the, I think the best example of that was the breath you have in your lungs. You have no control over that. So it's sort of silly to think that you do. And the exhort was, hey, your hands, your mind, your body is meant to live for Jesus. Do that. Um, those are the three examples that come to mind right away. Uh, obviously, here's the breakdown, the one through six. Uh, does he read the text? Yes, he does. Does he uh, go through exegetically working through the text? Yes, he did. He, again, example, um, application on all of them. And then did he preach the gospel? He did just by default. It's in the text, 19 and 20. He, he had to preach the gospel. So there's that. So the three things that we look for, did he do those things? Yes, he did all three of those things. Um, and I think those were done, again, you, you could break down the methodology um, <laughs> I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I've already recorded this sermon review once and I felt like I was really way too harsh on him. You're not going to see that. The patrons have access to that. Um, but I, I wanted to do this again because I was not, I did not do a very good job and I probably haven't in the past and something I'm going to get better at. I've not done a very good job of separating methodology from strictly the three things we look for. And so in this one, I wanted to do a better job at that. So did he do the three things we looked for? Did he read the text? Yes. Did he exegete the text? Yes. Did he give the gospel? Yes, he did. Methodology, would I change that a little bit? Yeah, I would change that a bit. Again, get rid of the story at the beginning, put in context and culture for where that story about the writing the note to the girl was. Um, I would have probably cut out some of the sillier parts of his explanation and just moved through them so that the, the verses one, two, three, four, like they, they flowed a lot better. Um, and then at the end, he does a whole altar call. We won't talk about that a lot, but I think there's, there's a lot of ways you could go about an altar call. My short story to this is that I'm going to say, Hey, here's Jesus. You have an opportunity to repent and believe and follow him. And I think that in this sermon, you've seen, uh, who God is and how he works and how amazing and worthy of your worship Jesus is. And if that is the thing that you, uh, you, it's really touched you. If that's something that you're really thinking about, the Holy Spirit's really working on you on, I want you to sit here tonight, pray a prayer 
and talk uh, and then talk to your youth leader or your pastor or your parents about the dedication that you've made because I I am glad that you've made that but they're the ones that really need to know that and that's sort of how I would do um, an altar call because again you know playing music in the background and having you raise your hand and all those sort of things um, I think there's just a more direct way and a more powerful and impactful way to do that um, than necessarily how we classically do altar calls. But all that being said, I couldn't nitpick his methodology. I think I've sort of showed you the things I would change. Uh, but this wasn't a terrible sermon. Um, it wasn't, uh, it, it didn't, you know, there, he covered all the bases. There was no heresy in it. In fact, he corrected a lot of heresy that was there. And I think his structure was pretty strong as well. So guys, if you like this video, make sure you do like that video. Click that like button down below. If you like what we do, make sure you share this video so other people can see it and kind of get the idea. Hey, there's a guy out here that does sermon reviews. How can I get better at speaking or how can I get better at listening to sermons? Uh, and all of that sort of stuff. And you want to support us. There are plenty of ways to do that down below. Below. And I would encourage you, if you benefit from this, if you found this uh, beneficial, uh, to, to maybe help us out in those ways as well so we can continue to do what we're doing and making these even better uh, than they already are. With all that said, guys, guys, I thank you for hanging around for this hour plus. I really appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you next week.